Welcome to the sermon podcast for New Life Church's Cabot Campus. We are located at 3400 West Main Street in Cabot, Arkansas. Our service times are Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. To find more information about what we believe, upcoming events, and more, please visit newlifechurch.tv or you can text the word Cabot to 88,000. The truth is nothing can actually take the peace of God from you. You surrender it. And I want to talk about that because the war that the enemy wages against you will start first and foremost in your mind. It starts in your mind and then he tries to move it quickly to your emotions. That's why that verse says, well, guard your heart, your feelings, your emotions, and your mind in Christ Jesus because that's where the attack of the enemy comes. And that is where the enemy tries to come against, his church, against God's church. It'll always be in our thinking, the way we process. And the problem is, if we are not aware of the tactics of the enemy, even the body of Christ can be pulled into the wrong fight with the wrong people for the wrong reasons. And it's all about our minds. And so I wanna talk about that because I believe that God wants us to walk in freedom. It says this in Galatians 5.1, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Okay, that's great, but you've got to steward freedom. He'll give it to you, but you still got to be responsible for it. Because the rest of it says, stand firm then, which means you're going to have to stand against something. And do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. But I want you to know that the yoke of slavery is not just always evil, outright sin. A lot of times the yoke of slavery will happen right here. You can be a Bible-believing Christian saved and walking through sanctification and still find yourself enslaved again to the thoughts that are contrary to the will of God for your life. That can happen. So I wanna talk about some areas that that I believe that God wants us to be free in. I'm gonna go through some of them quickly and and then I'm gonna dig in on a couple of them. God wants me to be free, first of all, from guilt and shame. From guilt and shame. Every person in here, you have this space in your life that you may not have actually dealt with yet. It's like it's your house. Everybody has this room at your house. You keep that door closed, especially when company comes over because it is a wreck in that place, okay? It might be your kid's room. It might be your craft room. It might just be where you put all your stuff that you still gotta return to Amazon, you know, whatever it is. But you've got that room and you wanna keep it closed. And, and, and some of you, it's like out of sight, out of mind, like you don't even think about it. It stays close most of the time. And you know what? That's exactly what the enemy wants to do with your hurt and with your shame, with your guilt. He would love it to stay in your house and never truly get dealt with. But the fact of the matter is, if you have accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, I don't care what it is, it's forgiven. You're not gonna be able to understand it. That's how good the love of God is. You just can't reason with it. Did you know that it is not spiritual at all to love God and still hate yourself? I find a lot of people, you're masochistic. I just love God, but I am wretched. Yeah, without Jesus, you're right. Without Jesus, we are all wretched. We're all horrible people, but it isn't spiritual. You know why? Because Jesus looked at you even before you recognized who Jesus was. 
Jesus looked at you and he said, I'm gonna exchange myself for them. Jesus knew all the stuff that you were gonna do your entire life before you ever even did it. The value of something is based on what somebody is willing to pay for it, right? So God looked at you and said, you're worthy of me exchanging my son for you. When you hold on to guilt and shame, what you're saying is, God, you make bad deals. You don't know how to make good deals. It wasn't a good deal for you to exchange Jesus for me because I'm just too messed up. God wants you to be free from guilt and shame. God also wants you to be free from bruises and bitterness. This is where, where your soul got punched. It, it, it is, sometimes it's a circumstance. It's not always people, but a lot of times it is people. It's relationships, it, it's at a job, it's from a kid. Sometimes it's even from church. You're gonna get hit in your soul and it's gonna hurt. But I, you've heard me say this before. Bitterness is like drinking poison and then waiting for the other person to die. It won't help you and it certainly isn't gonna help them. Satan will serve a tall glass of that poison up to you for the rest of your life as long as you're willing to drink from that well. There is no wind to the amount of bitterness that he'll keep serving you. God wants you to be free from bruises and bitterness. God wants you to be free from the expectations of others. And this is huge. This is probably one of the most prevalent issues in our culture right now. Most of it provocated by social media. Because now comparison is rampant. Now we will get on and start scrolling and feel this pressure that we need to be something that we see, that we hear. The fact is there's a lot of things out there that are trying to get us to conform. And this can happen at job, this can happen with your family, it certainly can happen with friends. And the temptation is to be drawn into the sin of materialism, certainly addictions. Most addictions, when you really look into it, it started with small compromises that were actually centered around the fear of man. That's where they started the expectations of others. First Thessalonians 2, 4 says this, we don't aim to please men, but to please God who knows us through and through. I love, Paul, Paul was clearly just totally free from this. Like it didn't affect this brother at all when people had negative things to say about him. One of the greatest relaxing decisions of your life will be when you discover Jesus wants to set you free from the pressure of conforming to other people's expectations. And when you get set free here, man, it simplifies life. I'm not saying that you need to walk around with the, the, the mentality of two middle fingers up to the rest of the world. I don't care what anybody thinks or says. No, what happens is when you understand the freedom that comes through Jesus, it changes your filter of how you receive other people's perspectives, but it doesn't always define you. It just helps you receive it so then you can put it through the filter of the word of God, his standard, and the leading and counsel of the Holy Spirit. And when you have that, then you know whether you take the opinion or you leave it and you move on. That's the freedom we're talking about. I think all of a sudden, 
when you get to that place, you just realize I'm going to center my life on pleasing the Lord. Because if I center my life on pleasing the Lord, that's really all that matters in life. And if I center my life on that, it's also gonna help me navigate how I handle other people's expectations. Did you know not even God can please everybody? He can't. There's a lot of people that reject what God has. Jesus was perfect. Raise your hand if you're perfect. Okay, I'm glad we've got that one down. Jesus was perfect, and he ticked all kinds of people off all the time. I think we need to get to a place where we just say, you know what? God likes me, and I like me. And if you don't like me, stay in your lane, bro. I think the pressures on young people is what's most crazy these days. Every generation has had to face this on one level or another, right? This pressure that we need to be or have or do what everybody else is doing. How many of y'all at one point or another went to your parents and said, but so-and-so's got this or everybody's doing this. How many of y'all ever heard that before? Everybody, everybody, okay? Like I would do this with my parents. How many of y'all, your parents would respond to something like this? Well, if everybody jumped off a cliff, would y'all? Well, I was a smart aleck. I was like, clearly, if everyone is jumping off of a cliff, they running from something. And it's scary. So I might, and just hope I land on a few other people to break my fall. If everybody's gonna go, I'm just gonna let a few other people go first. Then I'll bounce softly on their corpse on the bottom of the cliff. I was a smart aleck. Yeah, soft. Softly. here's the thing. In our home, when we hear stuff like that, everybody's using this app. Everybody's, I'm like, everyone? On the whole planet? Well, you're not. (laughs) So congratulations, you broke the stat. Way to go. I'm so proud of you. One in seven billion are not, and you're the one. We are overachievers in our home, I'll tell you that right now. But dad, people are gonna think I'm weird. I got news for you, people are gonna think you're weird anyway. And one of the reasons why they're gonna think you're weird is because you're a Bible-believing Bennett, and we are weird people. Because the word says, you are a peculiar people. We shouldn't fit in with everybody else. He also wants you to be free from controlling desires. 1 Corinthians 6, 12. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. I love how Paul said this. The problem is, a lot of times, we fight so hard for our rights. Like, we're justified to go after these desires. But what usually happens is, you, you go from, I had the right, to now the right has you. It's controlling you. Because I've heard this phrase so many times, I just can't stop. I just can't get control. 
So many people's lives out of control. I can't stop eating, drinking, watching pornography. I can't get control of my anger. I can't get into a habit of being healthy or exercising. I can't, I, I can't, I can't do it. I can't stop spending money. I'm addicted to it. Whatever it is, you name it. That controlling habit in your life. The philosophy of the world is this. Just do your own thing. And if it feels good, do it. Whatever you want to do, do it. It's your life. You do you. My life and my truth. And now truth is relative. I'm sorry, it's not. It's not fluid. It's founded. It's unshakable. But the one thing that I see with this, when someone says, I'm free to go out and live any way that I want to please, the truth is they're not free because they are a slave to their own desires. And being a slave to sin will always lead to emptiness, complete emptiness. But if you live for Christ, he's gonna fill you up with good things. But I find that, especially as Americans, I've got rights. Well, if you're defined by being a citizen of this country, you're right. But if you're being defined as a citizen of heaven, the moment that you accepted and took up your cross to follow Jesus, you can't carry anything else. You lay down your rights. You lay them down. And what I find is there are so many people holding on so tightly. Stop white knuckling your rights so much that you are killing the freedom that Christ wants to give you. Also free from the fear of death. This is huge. I think it's interesting though, when you name, if you name a fear, if you name a fear, the progression is this, you name any fear, why are you afraid of that? Why are you afraid of that? You ask enough questions, you know what it all leads back to? Death. All leads back to death, right? You're afraid of spiders. Still completely irrational to me. Like you're literally gonna let something that is a millionth of your mass dictate your actions in life. Okay, well, I, I'm pretty sure there's only like one spider on the whole planet that you can actually die from when it, when it bites you, and it's in Australia. So unless you're planning on going to the land down under soon, breathe, relax a little bit, okay? But the fear of tight spaces, the fear of snakes, heights, all those things, what does it go back to? Really, it goes back to, I just don't wanna lose my life. Hebrews 2.14 says this, Jesus became like us and shared our human nature. He did this so that through his death, he might destroy the devil who has the power over death and so set free those who were slaves all their lives because of the fear of death. I find that people don't like to talk about death. They don't like to talk about it. Like there's probably never gonna be a life group that talks about death. Like, hey, what's your life group about? Oh, it's about death. It's called you're, you're dead to me. And uh, <laughs> we're just gonna discuss that. They're not probably gonna get a lot of sign-ups because people don't like to talk about death. I don't mind talking about it. Because I know where I'm going. 
the worst thing that could ever happen to me is actually the best thing that could ever happen to me. That's just the facts. When I talk about this, talk around people and they don't like it, man, I've seen people's breathing get off, you know, like they start sweating immediately. Look, I, here's the deal. I don't know, we're probably all on the same page with this. I would rather be raptured. How many of y'all up for that? Okay, well, I hope you're up for it and I hope you're ready for it because it could happen pretty much any time, okay? That's the way I would like to go, you know? But if that doesn't happen that way, I have a different scenario that I would like, okay? This is what I want to happen. I want to be, you know, mid to upper 80s, right? I want to be over in East Africa somewhere. I want to be at an outdoor service preaching the gospel to a bunch of people. And then I want to give an invitation and see a bunch of people get saved. And then I want to go and sit down Lean back, close my eyes, and start to drift off. It sounds peaceful, doesn't it? But then a lion jumps out of the bush, and, me, and it comes in, and it starts swiping at people, and women and children are running everywhere, and I grab my knife, and I go after that lion, and I just fight with everything I have, and me and that lion die there together. And with my last breath, I say, I was martyred, <laughs> but it was for the sake of the call. That's how I want to go. Peaceful life. <laughs> Cody and I have talked about this subject. And honestly, if some of y'all heard the conversations we had, you'd be like, y'all are weird. But, but this is the reason why I've talked about it. It's because... We want our confidence, our identity, our security to be in Christ and Christ alone. And throughout the course of our relationship, there can be a tendency to create codependency. And so we've had these conversations just to put a check on that. Like, okay, the question would be, what would you do if I died? Okay, well, this is what we've settled. We'd be sad. That would suck. You're my best friend but I would move on because I'm not defined by you. I'm defined by the word of God and what, and his calling and his purpose for my life. And I don't, I wouldn't want to miss out on any of that. And I know you wouldn't want me to either. But when it got really weird was a few years ago when we had this conversation and then Cody said, you know, I think you're going to die relatively young. Really? How young? Like next year? <laughs> like, I don't know. Just, I just feel like you're just going to die younger. And I'm like, okay. She's like, definitely before me. I'm like, okay. And I just kind of just prayed through it, you know, and a couple of days later, she calls me and said, hey, I want to let you know I made an appointment to get some life insurance. Okay, that, that, I mean, how many of y'all would be a little concerned, right? Like for a while, you pull out of the driveway, you're like, okay, I think the brakes are working all the way. Seems up. So. 
It's the one time I'm like, I hope she doesn't have a prophetic gifting. I really hope she doesn't. But people are afraid of it. Why? I don't know. But you need to know this. Because of the resurrection, God does not want you to view your life on this earth as the beginning and the end. He wants you to view everything as part one and part two. Part one is here. And we do everything we can to prepare ourselves and as many people around us for the ultimate eternity, part two. But that's what it really matters. 1 Corinthians 5.54, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? Man, so how do you walk in freedom in these areas? In Genesis and in Revelation, it talks about the tree of life, the tree of life. And it's in the middle too. It's in Proverbs. It's in the New Testament. But this is kind of the foundation of our faith. This is where this all started in the very beginning. And I'm not going to read through all the scripture. But in the very beginning, God creates everything. He creates a garden. He puts Adam and Eve in it. And he says, live, be fruitful, multiply. You can eat from any tree, but you can't eat from the tree in the middle of the garden because that tree is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There's a tree of life. Eat from that as much as you possibly can. But there's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't even touch it, okay? So this is what it says in Genesis 3. It says, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the other wild animals that the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say? And that is the tactic he still uses today. Did God really say that? Is that really still true? Did God really say that Jesus is the only way to the Father? Aren't there many ways to heaven? Is the word of God still totally relevant and true? Or is it kind of old and outdated and we need to think of some new ways to interpret it? Did God really say? He still does that today. So what does he do? He tempts uh, Eve. And Eve looks at it, and because it looked good, and, it, and, 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 and the enemy convinced her that it, it was good for wisdom. Okay, you, you have to know that usually when the enemy comes at you, he's not tempting you with something evil. Just like obviously evil. Because most of us, not all of us, but most of us, if, if the enemy just started trying to tempt us with something really evil, we'd be like, no, I'm not going to do that. Usually what the enemy tries to do is he tries to tempt you with something that is good but isn't God so that you can be in bondage to what is good that you got the wrong way. That's what he does. That's when you become a slave to it. So here's the deal. You can have a lot of knowledge of good and evil, but if it's not submitted to the spirit of God, it'll hold you in bondage. And any person can be susceptible to this, even a believer can be susceptible to this. So when the woman saw the fruit that was good, pleasing to the eye, desirable for gaining wisdom, she took it, she ate it, and then she also gave to her husband who was there with her. Don't skip over that. Adam's watching this whole thing happen. What a bonehead. Okay, I'm just going to throw something out there. I, I'm, not, I'm not saying that this is scripture or not, but I, I, I look at that and I said, Adam's sin even before Eve gave him the fruit. Why? Because he let the fear of what she thought be more important than the fear of God to say something about it. We can't do that. We can't allow the people that we love 
to compromise because we're more worried about hurting their feelings than holding them accountable to the truth of who God's called them to be. So what are these trees like? What's the difference? Well, one, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil focuses on what you do. What you do, you better, you gotta do good things. So reading the Bible, when you're in this tree, you read not for what's important, not for what God's trying to communicate to you, but you read it for how much you can read. I read 10 chapters in the Bible. You can feel good about yourself and totally miss the point. Or prayer, it's not about how rich or real or transparent or powerful it is. It's about how long. I prayed until I got arthritis in my knees. And when you're in that place, this is where you start sizing yourself up spiritually and comparing yourself spiritually to other people. Man, I don't drink or cuss or chew or hang out with Alabama girls that do. I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a good Christian. I just picked a state. It could be anywhere. I'm, I'm no offense. Except to Alabama fans. I mean, all the offense in the world to Alabama but the other focuses on what Jesus has already done. That's the tree of life. And when you read the Bible through the tree of life, you're always looking for the person of Jesus. How can I find Jesus? How can I see God's plan to restore? And I'm telling you, when you start reading the Bible that way, through that lens, you will read yourself free. I don't care what you've been in bondage to. John 5, 39. You study the scriptures. He's talking to religious people. You study scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. You see how you can read the word and know the word, but miss the point? It's the difference between the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. When I come to Jesus, and not make it all about knowledge, but just come to get closer to Jesus when I read the scripture, you'll find real change there. One of those trees focuses on getting God's approval. That's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You know, people all over the country, depending on where you were raised, you might have a different God picture. Like if, if you're West Coast, West Coast God picture might be like he's like a hippie, like a Santa Claus that just gives you whatever you want. If you're from the Northeast, it's like this tired, wore out, hard of hearing grandpa. That's who God is. From the South, he's General Patton. He can't wait to bark orders at you and he's mad at you all the time. Well, when you live in the wrong tree, you're gonna have the wrong God picture. You think that you're constantly working to try to get his approval and you just have to know God's already been sitting in heaven before you ever took one breath, smiling down on you with full of love and acceptance. He wants you to get saved. There's only one way that you can, and that's through understanding what his son Jesus did for you on the cross, believing in that, accepting it, and surrendering to it. But he's always loved you. He's always loved you. He's always smiled down on you. And that's the other one. The other one focuses on receiving the love of God. It's just receiving it. I don't know if this ever happened to you. It's happened to me where I've messed up in the middle of the week and because I messed up when I came in to worship God, I didn't feel like I could in freedom. You mess up and you feel like, man, I've just got to earn my way back to God. But right now, man, I don't feel like I can sing that loud. I can't clap. I can't raise my hands. No, I've got to, I got to be miserable for a little bit and try to get back into receiving God's love. 
But Romans 5 eight says this, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God didn't wait for you to change so he could start loving you. He loves you so that you can change. There's a big difference. The knowledge of good and evil focuses on the external duty. The external duty of being a Christian. Well, I don't really want to do his will, but I've surrendered to the call. So, you know, I hate my life, but that's what God requireth of me. Or for me, I could say, you know, man, I could have been really successful, but God called me to be a pastor. So I guess I just won't be. I don't do this for any other reason than it is the greatest honor and privilege that God has ever allowed me to do. We had this lady come to one of our pastors one time. She came up, she asked this question, have you taken the vow of poverty? And he's like, what is that? She's like, I just have a strong, firm conviction that every preacher, every pastor should take a vow of poverty, meaning pastors should pretty much be broke their whole lives. Like, and I love how this pastor answered. He's like, well, here at New Life, we believe that because of Jesus, we are all called into the priesthood. Every member is a minister. So ma'am, have you taken the vow of poverty? And she never came back to church, so... I want you to know I'm so honored to do what I do. I don't deserve it. I, I, I was never the most qualified person, capable person. It is not because I'm perfect. It's not because of any other reason than the grace of God. He allows me to do this. I don't know why he called me. But you need to know this, I'm completely confident he called me. And I am not surrendering that calling for anything or anyone. And I don't care what lie the, the enemy wants to try to cook up, to throw it my way, to get me discouraged and cause me to bail out on what God's called me to do, I am not doing it. I will hit the tape, I will finish the race in Jesus' name. And I'm not gonna do it because I'm strong. That's not gonna be because I'm the most godly person around. No, it's gonna happen because I know I'm not the most godly person around and I need the Holy Spirit. I need his grace, I need his love, I need his forgiveness. And by his grace, I've just stepped into a firm, confident identity in Christ and Christ alone. And that's what he wants for you to do too. One focuses on the external duty, the other one focuses on internal desire. 1 John 5.3. In fact, this love for God to keep his commands and his commands are not burdensome. In other words, I don't have to, I get to, I get to. He loved me. And this is so big for you because change from the inside out, that internal work, will turn into external fruit. It just happens. How do I create that internal desire? At the risk of signing cliche, you gotta fall in love with Jesus. Fall more in love with Jesus. I'll give you an example. I love Cody, I love my wife a lot. And one of the reasons why I love her is because I think about 
who she is. And I also think about what she's done for me and what she's done for our family. And it just makes me love her. When I reflect on who Jesus is and what Jesus did for me, I can't help but lean into his love. I can't help but do that. Jesus paid for my sins. No one else was waiting on in line to do that for me. He stood in that line alone to pay for my sin. And because of that, I love him. John 14, 15, if you love me, you will obey my commands. This is a great verse to test what kind of tree you're living in. Because if you're living in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you read that verse in a different filter than someone that lives in the tree of life. If you live in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, when you read that, you'll read it this way. If you really love God, then you'll run off and be a really good boy. Versus how Jesus meant it. Please don't tell me that you love me if you're not really ready to do what I've asked you to do. Because when you truly understand my love for you, you will want to do what I've asked you to do. I don't go around trying to prove my love to Cody by not cheating on her. Like I don't wake up and like slap myself in the face like, don't cheat on Cody today. Don't cheat on her. Come on, I gotta prove that I love her. I'm not, I don't, no. I love her. We are in love. I'm not trying to not commit adultery. I don't think about it because I'm in love with her. Plus, she's a really good shot with my Glock. And then it's a little scary. And I think sometimes the fear of God and the fear of your spouse need to, they need to, they need, they work together to keep you on the straight and narrow. You've got to get the love right because love ignites will and that obedience will always follow. It's a byproduct. But you got to get your mind right. A lot of times we're like monkeys swinging from one tree to the next. On any given day, some social media post could get you right back into the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and take you right out of the tree of life. God wants you to camp out, build a tree house, settle down, find your place in the tree of life. Amen. Close our eyes, bow our heads. As I was speaking, you might have been identifying, man, I really have spent the majority of my life, maybe my whole life, and maybe even a majority of your Christian life living in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And you might have, even by the leading of the Spirit, recognized it because that is pretty much all you've ever done, that you may have never truly surrendered to the love of Jesus. You never truly surrendered to his grace and his mercy. Like from the very beginning, you just approached it with, okay, well, I've got a lot of things that I need to do. And if I do all those things, then maybe I can pay my way into Christ's love. Maybe I can pay my way into acceptance. Maybe I can somehow pay my way even into heaven. And I would suggest that if you feel that way and you've thought that way, 
you've never truly experienced Jesus. You've never truly experienced salvation. And maybe just the whole concept is totally foreign to you. You've just, you've never heard it this way. Maybe from the outside looking in, you, you thought, man, Christians, man, they, seems like a lot of rules. It seems like it. And I'm sorry that that was the perception. The fact of the matter is, as Christ followers, it's for freedom that we've been set free. It's because we just can't understand it, but we just accepted that he loves us. And if you're here and you've never done that, you've never surrendered your life, confessed yourself as a broke, lost person without him, I wanna give you a chance to do that. Or maybe you did, but you have not been living anywhere close the real relationship with his presence. And if you're here in this place, you know you need to come to him. You need to surrender to him as your Lord and Savior. No one's gonna be looking around. I wanna ask you, would you be willing as a sign of your faith in action to admit it? And if you are willing to admit, would you put your hand up right now? I need Jesus. I'm ready to call on him. I've been living, trying to do this on my own with my own will. And if you're raising your hand, you can look up at me as soon as I see you. You can put your hand down. I said, I got you. Thank you so much. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Thanks for being bold. Anybody else? I'm ready to call on Jesus. Got you. Yes, ma'am. Got you right here. Anyone else? I need him. I'm tired of living like I've got to earn my way into his love, into his forgiveness, into his plan and purpose. I'm ready to surrender to him as my Lord and Savior. Lean into his unconditional love for me. Anyone else? I need to call on Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I'm away from him. I know it. Okay. Got it. Thank you. Anyone else? Okay, got it. Thank you. Father God, I thank you for every person that raised their hand, and I know that that's not what gets them saved, but I thank you for giving them the courage just to admit it. Admit it to a brother in Christ who had to admit it for myself. And I thank you for meeting with him. We're just gonna start this journey with the Lord by having an honest conversation and say this, say, Jesus, I need you. I'm a sinner. And I believe that even while I've been a sinner, even while I was still lost, that you loved me and you gave your life for me. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. I ask for your forgiveness. I believe that you rose from the grave. You defeated sin and death. Because of that, I can live out a life full of purpose. And not just for this lifetime, but something that's gonna impact eternity. Help me to understand what that means by the standard of your word, the leading of your Holy Spirit. Help me to be connected with believers that believe what I believe so I can be strengthened and encouraged and grow in you. I surrender my life to you, Jesus. Come, be Lord. I lean into your love. Thank you. Father, for all of us, help us Help us, God. We live in an information era. It floods at us 
every day. But you've given us a great counselor that'll help us be able to see the difference between what is right and what is wrong. The things that would feed our flesh and bait us into div divisive thinking and words and actions versus the things that build your kingdom and bring you glory. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you do that. Thank you that we have the uncompromising standard, the irrevocable truth in the standard of the word of God. Thank you that we have that. God, help us to stay in the tree of life. Help us. We need you. We surrender anything, any one of those areas, God, that we need freedom in. We surrender them to you. And God, I pray that even during this next song, as we worship you, if there's anybody that just needs to confess it, if it's the fear of death, it's the fear of man and their approval or whatever it is that they would just come and get prayed for and lay it here at the altar. If nothing else, meet them where they're at. We love you, Lord. Thank you for loving us in Jesus' name.